Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 130 is recorded live September 13th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson, and here's just a few of the articles we're going to be talking about. A 20-mile swim, 10,000 log dives, and some great wall diving. Before we get started heading on into the news, I'm going to welcome my co-hosts for this week. We have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here. Great. And we also have, from up north but back in town, Jim Schultz. How are you doing, Jim? In need of another vacation. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? <clears throat> so, so the first things first, Mac. Uh, how you feeling? You getting any closer to dive shape? Actually, I'm not, and that really oh. ticks me off. I've well, done absolutely it. nothing for seven weeks, and it's just killing me. Uh oh. I mean, they they giving you any recommendations? Or just telling you to rest more. Well, it sounds like an MRI time if it's not better next week. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know which to wish you. Wish you that they don't find anything, or wish that they do. Well, I'd like to know what the hell it is. Got to be something. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. And Jim, you just uh, got back from up north. Uh, how was the weather up there? That was really nice. We got rained on a couple of days, but that didn't stop us. We got out and got wet anyway. Uh, temperatures were mid seventies to high seventies in the day, and fifties in the evening. The water was warm on the surface, and what was to be expected down below, and it was a good week. I think I need about 51 more of them. <laughs> well, when you figure that one out, you let me know. Yeah. How to do that on retirement pay, let me know. Well, how you do it in retirement pay, Mac, because you get another job. <laughs> no, I said, how do you do it when you're just retired? Well, I could be up there. My wife could be down here. That's two incomes uh, needed. Yeah? Well, just, uh, you just work where you dive. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> That sounds too much like work, then. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get started on Into the News. We have uh, a diver swims 20 miles through shark-infested seas to reach the safety. Uh, he was abandoned by the boat. A Japanese diving instructor managed to survive being abandoned by a boatman in shark-infested waters by swimming 20 miles to shore in 24 hours. Oh, here we go. Hishashi... Coase had been left for dead following a routine dive off uh, Borneo's Setubong Peninsula with two other diver co diving colleagues. Three men had gone underwater for a third dive, only to be abandoned when the boatmen had surfaced lost sight of the air bubbles underwater and assumed they were in trouble. <laughs> Mr. Coase, 39, was then left alone himself after trying to swim after the boat and losing sight of his two colleagues. Exhausted, sunburned, dehydrated, and emotional, he managed to swim back to the Borneo Island, where he told how the dive boat he was on headed back to shore after the boatman had decided there's no hope of finding him and his two companions alive. His friends, uh, Suto Makoto, 40, and young Tech Hu, 
52, were soon picked up by a passing fisher boat. Mr. Cozy, however, lost touch with his friends and did not see the see them being rescued, did not even see the fishing boat that picked them up. I kept, I must survive, I must survive, he told the uh, newspaper. He swam back. I'd be looking for that boat owner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So is that a case of where maybe we shouldn't pay the boat completely till we come up? I don't understand that at all. But one, I think having one of those safety sausages really would be nice. Yes. And I bet he hoped, wished he had one. Maybe he did, though. I don't know. Yeah, they didn't talk about that he did any of that. And he said he was a diving instructor. Well, 20 miles in 24 hours. I wonder if he got rid of his gear. Well, he, he was diving. Kept the, kept the BC on and got rid of the tank. I don't know. What would you do? Me, I would, I mean, I would, well, first thing is if he was diving with his buddies, why didn't they all stick together? Yeah. I mean, that that would be the first thing would be to stick together. Three of you together are a much bigger target to find than one. Then you all have your safety sausage. Because what, what's going to happen when that boat guy comes back and family starts calling? I mean, that's one thing to let, you know, just not your dive buddies who you're diving with know where you're going. Let your family know so they can call the authorities uh, for some assistance. And wouldn't you thought that's you really would key. Call, call for ahead, help. Mac. What's that, Jim? I was going to say that's really key is having a dive plan that you filed with someone who knows where you're at or what you're doing on shore and yeah. about what time you'd be back. Yeah, because they're going to search. If, if they think you're not there, they're going to start searching for the body. So one way or the other, if, the longer you can stay alive, the longer you stay visible, the more likely you are to be found. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's something I do. and I'll put it out there for other people to think about. Whenever we're diving off of my boat uh, and I put divers in the water, I always do a security call uh, to basically it's an open broadcast, but I know the Coast Guard's monitoring it and saying, you know, where the boat is, how big the boat is, and that we've got divers in the water. So my hope is that somewhere it's being recorded, uh, that if there ever is an issue and people need to come back and look for us, you know, they can reference back to those that recording and say, well, gee, they reported in on the dive location at this time. And then I usually do the same thing when we're clear, you know, securing from dive operations or clearing the area, something like that, just to, you know, my hope is the Coast Guard would hear, hey, there's a dive boat out there, and if something were to happen and the boat didn't check in, they'd have some idea of where we were and re- might remember hearing it. Yeah, and, and they have it from your mouth where you said you were at. Yeah. So the, the, they're not going on hearsay. So it just right. gives another point of data that they can reference to and hopefully find you. So, but yeah, that my, my thought is just stick together, be visible, survive. Now, they mentioned shark-infested waters you know, I'm. I think that was just the some. I mean, there's there's sharks. I'm sure there were sharks in the water, but Galatia's uh, Borneo. That sounds like it have a lot more sharks in it than well, Lake Michigan anyway. <laughs> yeah. Just the area, but you know, that's where those ERBs come in handy, especially the new ones that everybody is. You know, they have out the the emergency rescue beacons. Yes. Personal beacon. Man, that would have been the place and time to have one. Certainly. Yep. Well, since we had we were talking about sharks, we have the Marin Scuba Club to present a talk on sharks. Uh, David McGuire of the California Academy of Sciences will give a talk, Shark Sanctuaries and the State of Sharks, at the meeting of the uh, Marin Scuba Club next week. The meeting is from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m., September 19th, at the upstairs in the Flaretron Saloon. Flat- Flatteratron? 
I'm not, I'm not even sure what that is. Sounds something futuristic. Uh, and San Rafael. Cost is $3 for members and $5 for non-members. Now, there you go. Maybe that's what we're doing wrong, Mac. we got to charge to come to our meetings. <laughs> well, special presentation, 7.30 to 9.30, that's two hours. We've missed Romas. Oh, you just, just do takeout. <laughs> Have it yeah. catered I'd in, maybe. Probably, I'd probably end up missing half the presentation. Okay, and then we have, I, I think this is going to be kind of a theme for the month, more divers bringing up trash, and that is in the garbage kind, not the uh, acquaintance kind. That uh, was organized by Deep Blue Scuba and Swim Center in Belmont Shore. They had an estimated 100 divers uh, collect trash from beneath the ocean, uh, and it was at the uh, Belmont Veterans Memorial Pier. The goal was to clean up trash in the area and raise awareness about garbage underneath the waves. Right now, if you want to dive in Long Beach, visibility is bad, and you can get caught up in fishing line or other fishing stuff or metal signs. We have to take care of being divers in Catalina or Lugana, uh, Laguna Beach and or stay in the pool. And that was according to Jonathan Hall, 43 owner of the uh, Deep Blue Scuba and Swim Center. We like to do more about the stuff out here, but we really need to clean up the water. It sounds really neat. I'd like to know what to consider for visibility, and I'd like to know how cold it was. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that it's it's not cold like we've got, but I think they're a little chilly out there in California, aren't they? I know it is up in San Francisco. I have always had to use a suit up there. And I was just curious how far offshore they went. Because it says here, with the existing breakwater structure and static flow of water. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to know how, what the visibility is like. Yeah, I'd like to see some pictures, too. Where they're at looks like a wide open space, doesn't it? Yeah. In the chat room, they're saying uh, that uh, poor visibility is uh, 50 feet. <laughs> yeah, I should always have poor visibility. Well, and then uh, something that probably doesn't help the visibility in is this next one. If you're uh, interested in a, a truck, there's probably going to be a used one for sale, only slightly used. Let's see Not waterlogged by any chance. Yeah, it just might be a little damp from the sounds of it. Yeah, from uh, the picture of it, too, now that I look at it. <laughs> Yeah, that was a uh, a local man uh, had, a, had a little bit of a bad day uh, in Panama City. Uh, he was backing down the ramp. The boat began to float free of the trailer. He said he jumped out of his truck to secure the boat, but apparently neglected to put the truck in park. He left it in reverse. <laughs> now, that's one thing not to put I've it in park. I've seen a but, few of those. You've seen a few of those? I've seen a few of those. And there's also a uh, little-known problem with... Ford trucks. Was it a Ford truck? It looks like it might be a Chevy. It's hard to tell in the photo. Let me let me zoom in there with our bionic vision. Oh, it's real hard to tell. I think it's a. It looks like a Silverado. Maybe somebody in the chat room who's uh, more of a truck expert can let us know. I'm blowing it up myself. I'm curious. Oh, yeah. He says he was able to save the boat, but his Chevy Silverado wound up submerged. You'll notice most of the time when I park on the ramp, I shut the truck off. Yeah. Now, sometimes I've had uh, with a transmission when you put it in park at a steep incline, it's sometimes hard to get it, the uh, shifter out of park. You know, it's like the, all the weight of the truck and everything back on the the transmission. It's uh, it can bind a little bit. Um, so, but he did save the boat. So, you know, don't be worried. The important thing was saved. And what's that floating in the photo? There's something floating next to it. Is it a cooler? <laughs> Possibly. I like the sign. Use docks and ramp at your own risk. 
So they no. must have had some accidents or otherwise. I've never seen that other than that. Yeah, the police uh, say this type of incident is a little more common than you might think. Apparently, the marina boat lamp boat ramp is a little steeper than the average ramp. Oh, I see that now. Yes. Yeah. That'll do it to you, won't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, one that's really steep is that one where if, uh, and maybe we'll have to post that in a video on the video site, where Kirk, uh, I think Jim was with me and Bob, and we were going down the ramp in Grand Haven on our way to the Ironsides, and that was so steep, he's got that plastic mat in the back. Yeah. And anything that was on that map just went sliding and dropping into the water. Okay, who did we just lose? Looks like Jim might be dropping off, so... If, you lose us in the chat room, we're going to be back as soon as uh, uh, we have to reconnect. Oh, Jim fell off? Yeah, it looks like Jim fell off. Yeah. Slipped in the water. Uh, so some scuba divers hooked cables to the truck, and then a wrecker was able to pull them out. So see, scuba divers come uh, in useful once again. And then on the lighter side. I, I, I You're going to talk about Miss Scuba? Yeah. I only comment on that is I'd like to see them in different outfits. Well, I think they should. To me, that's not Miss Scuba. I mean, it, I think it's okay to have. Okay, so yeah, we're, we're, we're jumping the end. So the, what, what the story is, and this is reported by Sports Diver, uh, which is the Paddy magazine. The inaugural Miss Scuba Singapore 2012 was a huge success. Um, so yeah, they had a total of 10 scuba girls take part in the pageant. Uh, contestants were judged in four categories. Miss Photogenic, Miss Beautiful Hair, Miss Beautiful Skin, and Miss Beautiful Body. Uh, now, uh, Miss Tan, who won, will now undertake a professional session. What? Let me. I'm. I almost can't read that. I want to check it again. A professional session with one of the judges. Now I don't know what that means. But. <laughs> that sounds like code. <laughs> you know. Um, you know, for the right price, we can do professional sessions. I, I'm, I'm just sure it's something, the difference with the, the English translation there. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the judge who the professional session was with was a Miss Singapore Universe and TV personality uh, as well. Uh, the Now, here's, here's the other thing. The winner, they're going to have her complete her open water course. Shouldn't that be a requirement to even be in the contest? You should be a diver? Well, now, open water doesn't mean you could be a... Pool certified diver. I guess. <laughs> I think you're giving them a little bit of a benefit. Well, that's a new paddy course. I think you have a open water pool, and then you go from that to open water without a pool. You're serious? There's a paddy course called open water pool? Well, maybe not. But oh, okay. <laughs> you, had, you had one pulled over on me. I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, <laughs> gosh, open water pool. Yeah, so... So the winner of the Miss Scuba International will consist of 18 women from across the world who participate in various open conservation campaigns, represent Miss Scuba International in various countries, where she'll attend expeditions and expos. So essentially what what they're doing is recruiting booth babes for the show tour. Now, I, I think no the problem with that. Oh, yeah, it, it, it gives us something to make sure that we're still alive. <laughs> well. Yeah, you've seen my photo from Our World Underwater, right? I was there. I, in fact, I might have taken the photo. That's what I'm saying. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, that's fine. Uh, and I think but, mine were dressed more appropriate than these ladies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, certainly. They, they, were, they, were, they were wearing more. Yes. 
but I I do think that they should have had like change of contest. You know, like who looked be- looked better in a wetsuit or a skin suit. I mean that that would have been more appropriate or yeah. Maybe have a little competition. You know where they you know they have world peace and save the children. They should have something scuba related. Save the whale. Uh, get my SAC to be the best it can be, and you know collect fishing line or you know have a speech that talks about how they found a golf ball in a wreck. Absolutely. Yeah, so that so that's what the criteria. They need to have us as judges. What well, they need to do for us if we ever want to have one of those contests down here. Well, I guess we could do that. I, I was thinking more that they could fly us to Singapore and we could judge that one, but you know, um, yeah, I guess we could do one here. Well, I, I think I'd probably go to Australia Barrier Reef. Barrier Reef. So okay, Australia. English there. And so Miss, the Miss Scuba Australia pageant. You can call us. Yes. Yeah. You know, just 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 send us tickets. Hotel accommodations on a liveaboard for three weeks, and I'm, we can certainly work something out. Okay, two. You know, they had that in the state. They're going to have competition from Florida, California. I mean, how are you going to figure out which locale for the lady to represent the USA? Yeah. Well, so what they need to do is give some sort, a little bit more of an incentive. Of course, the, you know, they're going to be with Miss Group International traveling around the world. But uh, you know, how about a dive job with it? You know, uh, I can say this. You know, going a little further. Maybe a little risque, but you know, then you can have a really interesting layout in maybe like Playboy divers and stuff. Well, there you go. Now we're going to get some some publicity. Well, and I think you'd get a lot more male participants to assist. Okay, I won't say who said this in the chat room, but one said one of the con- one of the uh, classes should be about best natural buoyancy flotation device. Well, I mean, hey, what can I say? When yeah, I think you'd have to have two classes: best natural and best artificial. Okay, and who gets to make that determination? Well, we'll, 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 I'll volunteer. Well, maybe that's what that special session was for. I like those two classes. We'll have to remember that for ours. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, we have Laros logs his 10,000th scuba dive. Keller Laros coming out of Skull Cave uh, finished up his 10,000th scuba dive on September 6, 2012, very near the spot where he went and had his first dive along the Kona coast. He's a Paddy scuba dive master, trainer, a professional dive guide, and instructor at Jack's Diving Locker, which is also a press release for. See how that works? <laughs> uh, he has, uh, with his 10,000 dives, it's equivalent to 312 days underwater with an average dive of 45 minutes. He logged his first dive 28 years earlier. Uh, let's see. Anything else in there? You know, 10,000 dives, how how big is that book? Books. <laughs> Lots of books. Oh. So 10,000, congratulations. That's a that's a good number. It's a hell of a number. How would it feel when you hit that, Mac? I probably won't be able to do that this year, though. <laughs> you mean yeah, you're going to yeah. miss it for a year? So he's only going to get about 9,000 dives in this year. Yeah, I'd have to get a lot you know, to get 10,000. That guy's got to be living on the damn thing. Well, I think that's the difference between, uh, I mean, because you, you did both recreational and you're even a professional diver for a while. But to be an instructor, that's where you really log them up. Oh, I'm looking here, what, Lava Tube on the Kona Coast? I think he's in an area that doesn't have a lot of ice. I, don't, I bet he doesn't have four months of year downtime oh. for maximum diving. No, but I mean, look, he's... Look at, you look at the guys who have the most jumps. They are in that profession, the divers or jumpers, instructors, photographers. And they're out there 
dozens a week, and that's yeah. what you got to be. Yeah, I mean, that's how you get it. But, I mean, like, even me compared to you, you never catch up with somebody who's going twice as fast as you are. So maybe one of those 10,000 dives, you can get in a nice dive on a historic object such as the Great Wall of China. This one was out of the Wall Street Journal. Um, they had uh, uh, divers who were, there's a spot over there where they can dive on the Great Wall. Uh, they, they said they lost the wall and couldn't find it. Okay. I, I'm mixing up a couple articles here. So I'm the, the first article I found, uh, it talked about them getting a dive in and being disappointed because they couldn't find the wall. And then they went in, uh, later for a second dive and were able to find it. Well, I can see she's a grubber because she went down to get what she thought was the base. Turned out to be a discarded liquor bottle. So no matter where you go, you're going to find out alcoholic beverages. Yeah, well, I mean, and it depends. You know, in China, the 200-year-old bottle's new. That's true. And looking at that pictorial, visibility is about what we're used to. Yeah, it looked like, uh, you know, Michigan River diving after a few rains. And if you can take a picture and see a hand and a, and a face, that's good biz. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's true. So uh, the, the what had happened is they flooded a reservoir, which took part of the wall underwater. It's a half-mile section. <clears throat> So I guess they said there was one spot where it was like an arch, and they weren't sure if the arch was natural or if it was erosion had worn underneath. Now, that's one spot I don't know if I'd necessarily want to go underneath a eroded arch on the Great Wall. <laughs> you might become part of the foundation. That's a and nice article, though. It, it is. And then if the Great Wall is not quite your speed, then you can always go looking for the Queen Anne's Revenge, which has been found, and they're getting ready to start a new season of diving on it. Uh, it begins this week. The artifacts uh, raised from the Queen Anne Revenge site in the coming weeks will be smaller in size than the cannon that they show in the photo. The eight-week dive expedition um, is going to be at the Beaufort in Winlet Inlet at the wreckage of a ship considered to be the flagship of the infamous pirate Blackbeard. Divers under the North Carolina Underwater Archaeology Branch which is based in Fort Fisher, aren't planning to bring up any of the remaining cannons or anchors during this dive, but they will be excavating from a forward hold area the east side of the wreck site, which correlates to the lower portion of the ship. The team is expecting to find ballast stones and smaller artifacts, but the excitement is in the unknown as a lesser explored area of the shipwreck. I, any of it would be exciting, especially yeah. if it hasn't been found before. That would be awesome. But taking a look at the wreck that Jim and them are trying to get, more people to dive next year. Yep. Excitement is in the unknown. What's under oh. that sand? Oh, there's there's got to be uh, there's something underneath that sand. I'm convinced of it. No cannons, but I'm convinced of other items too, just like you are. Yeah, I I don't think there'll be cannons, but uh, there's going to be something. There's definitely going to be something. I I just have a feeling that with the condition of that, what we're talking about for people who've been following the show for a while is we're talking about Max Wreck. Off of Bridgman, the the one that was rediscovered a few years ago, and that we're looking at, and the underwater preservers getting ready to start doing some preservation work. Hopefully, this next season. Okay, I think that does it for scuba news. We have a few photos of the week. This first one is of a sea lion. I wish he had had video. That would have been great to see this on video. Good shot too. Yeah. He and was pretty that, close. No. Particularly in the water, ain't it? Well, that's a sign also of a photographer who has a good camera. 
because I don't think your average camera is going to be able to get that close. But the shots are just amazing. Yeah. How far back does those guys' teeth go? It uh, looks like quite a bit back, doesn't it? <laughs> that one shot where he's got his mouth yeah. open. <laughs> Friends, not food is the caption. He said that he couldn't resist seeing if the lens was worth eating. So uh, he saw his uh, image in the lens of the camera and was playing around. But just amazing photos. And some of those other shots, that is just an animal that's built to swim. It's so effortless, and how fast they can go with, looks like a minimal effort. Yeah, I mean, they're all flippers. They got like a little streamlined head and then four flippers. Or should we say fins? Is that the proper term for, for sea lions too? Chat room is saying he's a baby. And then this next one is all ears. It's an underwater sculpture. It's a little creepy looking. It is. But I look at this stuff and I think we need the same thing in Lake Michigan. The ears have it. I just love this whole idea of underwater art. It just looks like something special for the divers that other people don't get. Now, what's interesting about this one is uh, it's a it's a work of art and it's got ears on it. You're really going to have to go to scubaobsessed.com, click on the show notes, and you're going to see the uh, the photos. But it's a uh, it looks almost like a mannequin dummy with nothing but uh, ears. They they taught he, they taught people how to uh, cast ears, so it looks like kids and students cast ears and sent them in, and then he put them on the sculpture. They've got the, the idea is that they're going to record how coral grows and forms. So they've got an underwater camera that's taking video. Let's see, they say how often it's taking it. I think they do. Oh, it's like so many seconds of video. So the it uh, they put it in May. It's in about 13 feet deep of water. Yeah, I don't, I don't have it, but it's like a. Yeah, it took two years for the kids to get all the ears together. Oh, they're doing a 30 second clip every 15 minutes since they put it in. <clears throat> so they'll be able to do a I nice. I didn't realize ears were so ugly looking. Yeah, we... they are. They aren't. Uh, God, it just looks like some. You know, it looks like a need of a giant Q-tip. That or half of a shell that's got stuff in it. Yeah. It is creepy looking. It is. Yeah, if you have an ear phobia, this might not be the one for you. Oh, man, don't look at that. It's terrible. And then videos. Uh, we've got the uh, Scuba Obsessed video site. I'll paste this into the show notes, this one. Uh, so the one I picked this week was uh, the USS Monitor. This was an expedition. Uh, the monitors uh, sank and is upside down in 240 feet of water. So a nice little video, uh, about four minutes. Uh, it is narrated. Yeah, Dave's, Dave's saying uh, in the chat room, take that sculpture from the Norse Pier and sink it. Uh, that definitely is true. Uh, in St. Joe, if you head out to Lake Michigan, there's a large stainless steel sculpture along the pier. And I would say that's got to be at least 60 feet tall. Kind of looks like a tree on fire is about the best I can describe it. What doesn't look as great above water would probably look pretty snazzy underneath. So That monitor video is pretty good. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Now, Mac, you were talking about you can't dive on that, can you? Not without a permit. So you have yeah, to get a, you got to have a permit. It takes a damn near an act of Congress <clears throat> to get the permit. The Navy took away, 20 years ago. You said, what did the Navy take away, Mac? They took the turn. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that went just a few years ago. And in fact, we had an article probably, was it six months ago, three, six months ago, where they had, uh, were finishing conserving it. In fact, they were, they had the, uh, they were doing, they did the reconstructions on the uh, faces of the sailors. Well, that's how you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did, did have a relative who served on the monitor, but, uh, he wasn't on it when it sank down. My, my mom was saying he was known to be a hellraiser. So, but it wasn't his fault to say. <laughs> okay. So that does it for scuba in the news. Well, we can add one more if you want to. Sure. Pick one up. Sure. Uh, Big Stig passed it on on the uh, chat room, and some river divers found themselves a really nice Woodstock anchor and recovered it this past weekend over in the St. Clair River. Oh, okay. Let me let me pop that one open. I did, uh, Rich and I were talking about that earlier in the week. Rich Sinewick of Diver Sink. If you're not listening to that podcast, you need to. And that is a nice Woodstock anchor. Yeah, now, beauty, yeah. Now, one thing Rich pointed out is the hawse pipe is attached to it. Let me go back and look at it again. Okay. Are you putting the picture someplace? Uh, uh, let me, in the chat room. Yeah, let me send it to you, Mac, in uh, the chat here. That's it. Yeah, we're, we're drooling over that. The only thing wrong with, with Woodstock anchors like that is if you don't preserve that really, really quick, going right in the track. Yeah. Yeah, the wood will deteriorate. Yeah, if you're up there at the St. Clair, there's a really nice one that used to be on display, but they obviously didn't have enough money to maintain it every year because the woodstock part went to heck in a handbasket. Yeah, you you got to figure untreated wood out in the weather getting exposed. It's just going to disintegrate. Yeah, you got you to gotta coat that every year. Yeah, they're, they're saying... Uh, Found, they found this Saturday, which is last week, floated it on Sunday, pulled it out today. It's a team project, Frank, Nate, Mike, and Ed. So, very cool. Now, that's making me think that there's there's still something. Because you don't pull the hawse pipe out of a, of a vessel that still floats, would you? No, it sounded like you've got uh, totally a wreck one. And that happens to be part of the wreck. But I am a little curious how that comes up under the artifacts aspect. Well, isn't it if it's a river? In the river? It's not covered. Say again. If it's in the river, it's not covered. I'm not totally sure about that, but well, it sounds good to me. Well, because my thought in the river, because that's a dredgeable river too. I mean, that's one they actively dredge. Yep. So there's no expectation that it would survive dredging. Now, it's not to say that when they get up, you're not covered under other antiquity laws, which is, oh wait, that's worth too much. We own it now. Yeah, that's what I see. Yeah. Not that I would think the government would do something like that. Oh, no, no, of course not. <laughs> so, yeah, once again, uh, we've got the dive video site is up and running. That's divevideos.scubaobsessed.com if you know any videos. Uh, there's a suggested video link, or you can send us a link to the video via email through the show at scubaobsessed.com. Also, I'm trying to think of that maybe what we'll start doing the segment is the video that gets the most views, the new ones we post up each week. We'll do that as the video of the week. So we've got a few. We've got another video on there that was popular this week, which is uh, Nature's Dentist. Uh, that was, and we talked, some of these are, I'm regurgitating that we've covered in the show before. This was uh, two, uh, what do they call them, cleaner, cleaner wrasse, uh, picking at the diver's teeth. And let's see, what else did we post up this week? We had a few others. We had uh, uh, Laura, 
who is over on the west coast of the United States, uh, Laura James. She does a lot of ecology dives, and she actually does some surveying. She's a very good underwater videographer. She does some amazing shots. And these are just, I don't know if I'd call them fun dives, but just survey dives, which I think sometimes those are the best types of dives there are. And uh, she was surveying three different outflows on pipe, so you get a chance to see some uh, underwater pipe out there in uh, Seattle. And then uh, let's see, we had um, the uh, the we redid the reposted that uh, valley that floods every year. That one's out there. Uh, we've also had the scuba song, the one that we talked about last week. And there's one that's gotten almost no views, and that is a testing of the dry suit. So. So there you go on that site. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We also have, of course, have our website, scubaobsessed.com. Head over there. And we also love those five-star reviews on iTunes and also on TalkShoe. Okay. Well, I think that brings us to the next uh, part of the show where we talk about uh, getting some dives in. So I didn't happen to get any uh, dives in this Last week, I, neither did I. So I think Mr. Schulte is going to have to really give us the skinny here. Yeah, he's going to have to have dough for both of us. Well, okay. <laughs> Let's see. I think after last Thursday's trip, we did Friday. Actually, Friday we dove the Jenny Lynn which is a new tugboat, new wreck in Duncan Bay. It's very shallow. It's right off the channel. And basically, we use that dive for me to work on the balance and trim on my doubles. So we went over there and got a couple of dives in on a rainy day. And uh, I set up a new set of doubles with a back plate. and was working on trimming them out and balancing them up. And so we got a few dives in on the Jenny Lynn, and that was the end of the week. So it sounded like Sunday you guys got blown out, or was that Saturday? Uh, Saturday was blowing pretty hard, so Bob decided he would spend the day with his wife riding bicycles around Mackinac Island, and I ended up driving back home, um, made a couple stops along the way, and learned that on Friday night, Friends Goodwill got caught in a squall out uh, off South Haven, and it did some damage to the boat and the sails. Didn't do much damage to the boat per se, but it tore up some sails. So I spent Sunday over there helping them repair some sails. Oh wow! Now in the uh, so it was just they couldn't get the sails down quick enough in the wind. Well, actually, they they saw the wind building, so they took down the outer sail, the outer jib, farthest furthest out. There's three jib sails on the front of the ship. They took down the outer jib and actually tied it off to the jib boom, which is the long pole that sticks out off the front of the ship. Uh, and then they were sailing with the inner jib, and they took that down and were just going bare poles with the engine running, trying to maneuver around. But the waves blew up so high uh, that it kept burying that jib boom in the water. And the sail filled with water and just shredded it. So it wasn't really the wind that shredded the sail. It was the high waves breaking over top of the jib boom, filled the sail with water and shredded it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that weight on cloth or whatever material can can be real tough. 
Now, yeah. in the chat room, they're talking about that they would love to ride on the Friends Goodwill. That's possible, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, they're still doing weekend sales through September and into the beginning of October before they'll start to uh, derig the ship and get it ready for winter maintenance. So you can, uh, if you go to their website, which is uh, michiganmaritimemuseum.org, or just Google Friends Goodwill, you can get to their uh, page and order tickets online. Still sailing Friday nights, Saturdays, and Sundays through September. Excellent. And when do they start back up in the spring, do you know? Uh, it's usually around middle of April. Now, Mac, you just sent us a link. What's that link about? Uh, a full-face dive mask with night optics. With night optics? Oh, yeah. Ah, so here's some. Here's, here's our... Uh, Monocular goggles. Pretty neat looking. That's our potential cool scuba gear, then, for the week. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Did you see it? That is amazing. It says the system is modular designed to com- compromise a comprise of a 25 millimeter objective lens, high performance second generation image intensifier and battery on off switch, 25 millimeter optical, op, ocular lens. So what would the purpose of the night, I mean, is that like doing a night dive without lights? Is that the point? Absolutely. Or if you were a seal, maybe. Huh. Did we lose Jim? Looks like it. Very nice. The second link, the same one? Oh. Oh, the, the, in the chat room, they're talking about that Costa Concordia. I saw an article earlier today that I didn't pick up on that one. Well, the captain was found guilty, but he shared it with some other people. Okay, so this one's the Costa Concordia salvage is delayed. Um, the consortium hired to refloat and remove the 114,000-ton ship this month has a new timetable originally scheduled for completion by January 2013. The removal was delayed until next spring. Uh, I believe the new schedule is much more realistic. I'm trying to see if there's anything new in there. So it looks like, the, I mean, they're making progress. It just looks like they're thinking they need some more time. Looks that, <clears throat> looks that way. It's always those unexpected whoopsies. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you look at it. They're pumping out fuel. They have a video of it actually on, on the link. And, you know, if you think it's you can get a certain rate and then you have something that cuts that in half, I mean, then you end up doubling your time. And if you've got dependencies, I mean, anybody who's done project management knows that you know, if you can't do things in parallel and you're doing things linear, then every delay affects the whole project. So, Critical path timeline. Exactly. It said, uh, although more than 2,200 cubic meters of heavy fuel has been safely pumped out of the ship, the report revealed that some 243 cubic meters of fuel declared unpumpable remain. How many? 243. So looks like about 10%. That's a lot of money. You know that? To us. Not a billion-dollar ship. They're <laughs> now. I wonder when they bring that up. Now the insurance companies have already paid for paid off on all the jewelry and stuff that's gone. I'm sure. Imagine. I'm sure they have are going to have rights to uh, to anything that's salvaged or claim rights. It's like the fuel. If they want the money for the fuel, 
that if there's a leakage in uh, spillage, I reckon that means they're liable for that also? Uh, probably not. Can't have one thing without the other, can you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I could go on my conspiracy theories on this all the time, but I, I'm thinking that everybody, you know, you or I in a 20-foot boat and we got a hole in it, we're going to get a fine that proportional to our annual income is huge. These people are going to get away with almost nothing. Okay. So any dive plans for this weekend? Anybody planning on going out? Well, I would be in the river, I'll tell you that. What's that, Jim? I hope to get out to Max Rack on Saturday. You thinking about it? Yeah, need to go do a little uh, probe. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've got my weekend plans up yet. But like Mac, like you're saying, the river yeah. is so nice. Well, it's always a fallback because it's been pretty windy the last couple of days. Yeah, it has been kind of gusting out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 16, 17 knots. I'm, I'm just looking forward to my uh, Cooper River trip coming up here. And when well, is I'll that? I'll be in Carolina when you are, but I won't be there. Yeah, it's going to be the weekend of October 5th, 6th, 7th. So be a nice little run. Hopefully find uh, the biggest tooth ever found. I would really like that. Just make sure you're wearing your mud glove hat when you have the photographs made. <laughs> we'll make sure we get those in the shot. I'd have to do, I think maybe what I'll do is I'll do like the uh, the NASCAR guys. You know, as I'm talking to the TV cameras, I'll just keep changing hats. I'll do mud club and then uh, scuba obsessed and then maybe diver sink and just keep flipping them around. That means you need to get your red jacket then and start putting the patches on it, too. <laughs> a fire suit. Actually, I, I, that's what I need to do is I need to have the uh, wetsuit or dry suit version of that, all the patches on it. Yeah, yeah I think you need the dry suit version. Well, see, that's one thing about not being a skinny guy. I've got more material for sponsorship. Now, wouldn't it be too bad to have not enough room on your body for sponsorship <laughs> details? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that will that will happen. Okay, do we got anything to plug before we get to that time of the show? Yes, we do. Excellent. What's that? Well, we're trying to encourage people to get their registrations in for the 7th Annual Trash and Treasure Dive for the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve, which I happen to be president of. We are looking to get raise some money so we can uh, do more booing of wrecks. I saw some interesting, uh, when we were up north last week, I looked at how they had the surface buoys marking the wrecks uh, in the Straits Preserve, and I want to do something a little different from that, but uh, looking at doing some PVC pipe about five feet tall sticking out of the water that we would use as a floating surface marker. So that's oh, going to take okay. a little money to buy those materials. Uh, we've got the design worked out, courtesy of the uh, St. Joe River Yacht Club. This is what they use for their racing markers uh, during the summer. And I think it would work very well for a uh, wreck marker, because you will stand up nice and high out of the water to be able to see them. So we're just uh, I bought some materials today to make a prototype so we can show it and test it and work out the details. But... The Yacht Club gave us the design, so we're we're playing with that. The seventh annual Trash and Treasure Dive is Saturday, September the 29th. It's at the 
Lake behind Moby's, M-O-B-Y apostrophe S, dive shop in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Cost is $25 if you pre-register or $20 if you're a member of the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve uh, or $35 if you register the day of the event. Excellent. So if anyone is interested, uh, we'd love to get you registered and signed up and We'll be searching for golf balls. I believe we're going to have some numbered golf balls and uh, different prizes assigned to the different numbers on the golf balls. So th- that will make it an official dive. That's right. But you've got to come back with a golf ball. Excellent. Now, now, what do you get if you come back with the unnumbered golf balls? Uh, that's the trash part of the dive, <laughs> not the treasure part. Uh, now, kind of back on the buoys... So that's like uh, essentially a tall PVC tube then? Yes, it's about a... What I'm looking to do is take a 6-inch piece or 4-inch piece of PVC pipe, 10 feet long, uh, cap the top of it, cap the bottom of it, but put some weight and a swivel anchor on the bottom of it so that it'll float about 5 feet above the water and 5 feet below the water. And uh, then we'll have our anchor line still tied to the mooring, but uh, this will also tie off to the mooring. So you would still have a subsurface buoy, and then this is the surface right. marker. Yeah, you'd have okay. the subsurface buoy, which will remain permanent. This would come and go. We would take these off in the fall, uh, but it would mark the position of the subsurface buoy and be easier to spot than the milk jugs floating on the surface. Yeah. Now... Uh, any thought of uh, attachments uh, to it for being able to moor, or are they just going uh, to... Not to this. We'll still have the mooring line coming off the subsurface. This would just mark, uh, make it easier to find that mooring line. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, and, it, and then how, how about maybe some vinyl letters down the side? Yeah, what I'd like to do is mark the name of the wreck on it, uh, the depth of the wreck, you know, and then put a... You know, generally an if recovered call number on there in case it breaks free. Okay. But that would help the fishermen to spot our lines long before they get on top of them. And also make it much easier for divers to pick up the buoy on a rough day. Yeah. Very cool. I think it it sounds like an excellent idea. And if we get real fancy, we may put a solar, small solar light on the very top of it. Well, you can pick those up fairly inexpensively, too. Yep. Hmm. That'll give it a little protection in the evenings and, you know, depending on how long the light lasts, make it a little more visible at night. Yeah. I mean, there's, then we also have some options. You could do some, uh, uh, some of that 3M tape, reflector tape or something. Right. Reflector tape on them. Yeah. That's what we're thinking about. And, you know, uh, maybe put a little aluminum foil on the inside or something so they're a little more reflective for the radar. Oh, that's an idea. Well, Mac, you got anything to to pitch? We've got a mug club meeting next week, don't we? Yes, we do. I was just going to mention that Sunday is supposed to be mostly sunny, 75 degrees, zero chance of rain, and the wind only at 6. It's decreasing. So it looks like Sunday is going to be optimum time. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Anybody in the chat room have anything? You know, we'll give give them the the last. We appreciate everybody who's in the chat room. Uh, All the cool kids are there. Uh, quite a good turnout this week. We're now getting in the fall weather. It always seems like our our tenants picks up in the fall. Not not a whole lot of distractions. 
lot of comments in the chat room tonight. Not only just a lot of members, but a lot of comments. Very talkative chat room. Yeah, I don't know. Does that just mean the show's so boring that they they they're enjoying the chat room more? No, I think it's because they can multitask. Ah, uh, they're, they're, they're they have skills, mad skills. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you guys ready? Ever ready? I don't know if I'm ready for this one. I have to get it all centered. It's like I'm. So okay, so here we go. A man escapes from prison where he's been for 15 years. He breaks into a house and looks for money and guns and finds a young scuba diving couple in bed. He orders the guy out of the bed and ties him to the chair with his own regulator hose. While tying the girl to the bed with the spare octo, of course, he gets on top of her, kisses her neck, and then gets up and goes to the bathroom. While he's in there, her husband tells his wife, Listen, this guy's an escaped convict. Look at his clothes. He probably spent a lot of time in jail and hasn't seen a woman in years. I saw how he kissed you on the neck. If you want sex, don't resist. Don't complain. Do whatever he tells you. Satisfy him no matter how much he nauseates you. This guy's probably very dangerous. If he gets angry, he'll kill us. Be strong, honey. I love you. To which his wife responds, um, he, he wasn't kissing my neck. He was whispering in my ear. He told me he was gay and thought you were cute. He asked me if we had any Vaseline. I told him it was in the bathroom. Be strong, honey. I love you, too. Oops. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Some things don't end up the way you think they will. Absolutely not. So, I, I think it's appropriate to say go out there and get wet. And definitely stay, stay safe. Wear your dry suit to bed. <laughs> Call recording has been completed. The chat room says at least he was going to use Vaseline. (laughs) (laughs) There's a hardened criminal joke in there somewhere.